It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. Welcome back to another episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star. If you're wondering why this sounds a little bit different, it's because David is MIA right now. So you've got Chris. Sorry, you got to deal with me as the host. <laughs> but I did bring in somebody who's familiar to the show, who's been working with us a lot lately. I've got my good buddy, Caden Brooks. Caden, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Thank you guys for having me again. It's always, always a lot of fun to sit in, so I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to this one. Um, Caden, you, you put this together. You got this interview we have. We're sitting in my home in Memphis, Tennessee, before uh, a show tonight. Um, why don't you tell the people who's playing tonight and who we're talking to? Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, this is this one's really an honor for 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 Chris and myself, to be honest with you, to uh, to have this guy on the show. This is uh, this is one of our all-time favorite singers uh, and songwriters. When looking back, looking back across the last, you know, geez, twenty-five years. I mean. Our guest has, has been a staple on the Los Angeles and, and national music scene for, for nearly 30 years, playing in a variety of bands, touching many genres across the years. Uh, he was there for the Sunset Strip days and arguably one of the most in one of the most popular L.A. bands in the early 90s with Big Bang Babies. He, he took a tour of duty, if you will, uh, through a punk rock scene with Custom Made Scare and Deadbolt. And in recent years, he's he's really fully embraced kind of the the country and singer songwriter history uh, that you'll hear him talk about so often. Really helped to shape and influence him uh, in his younger days. So uh, listen, it's it is an understatement for me personally and Chris to 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 uh, to say this is this is an honor and a pleasure, and uh, we're thrilled to welcome to Digital Killed the Radio Star Charlie Overby. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. So, you know, listen, Charlie, I mean, you guys literally pulled in 30, 30, 40 minutes ago from Little Rock, Arkansas. You've been out on a, on a tour right now with your band, The Broken Arrows. And, uh, you know, I know that you were exposed to, uh, to country music early and often when you were, you were growing yeah, up. But yeah. Of course, you took, you know, you took somewhat of a mu- different musical direction uh, in your initial outings and maybe a kind of a, a bit of a rock and roll rebellion, if you will. Talk yeah, to us a sure. little. Talk to us a little bit about, if you could, about the situations or maybe the moments early on when you really thought about pursuing or diving in headfirst. You know, from a commitment perspective to to the musical thing. Mm. 
Well, you know, as a kid, my old man was from Lamar, Arkansas. So, you know, he was really into the, the country and the Johnny Cash and Merle and Waylon and you know, all the, you know, all that stuff, the pickers, you know, he loved the good guitar pickers. So, and my mom was English. So growing up at my house, either Hee Haw was on or Benny Hill was on, you know. And uh, of course, you don't really want to do what your dad wants you to do or what your dad is into, you know. And I was, I was always drawn more to the, the rock and roll stuff. Um, and my old man would always say, oh, that's, that's garbage, you know. <laughs> Just keep listening to Johnny Cash. Yeah. And, uh, but my, you know, I had an older brother, and he had the Toys in the Attic 8-track, and I remember just thinking, oh my God, this is awesome, you know. And uh, I remember the first record, the vinyl record I bought was Strangers in the Night. Wow. UFO. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I was immediately drawn to the rock and roll, and then when Van Halen hit, and of course Motley a little later, you know, that was like, oh my God, all I want to do is just be David Lee Roth, you know? You and everybody, right? Yeah, all of us, <laughs> everybody just wanted to be Dave. I mean, what else is there? Drink and hit as many chicks as you can with no, you know, no crossfire. There's just no, there was no remorse and no, you know, he was such a badass. And uh, so I started playing in, in some rock bands and, and uh, I started playing bass actually first. And then uh, I got a drum set and started playing drums. And that's when I was in this uh, Christian rock band as a kid. And, uh, you know, played with Striper and, and there was a place called Radio City in Anaheim, California. Oh, sure. And uh, all the bands would come down there and play. You know? Striper, I mean, they were, they were local. They were La Mirada guys, which was, I was from La Habra. And, La Mirada was like the next two cities over or something. So they were real close. Um, but we would play down there as, you know, we were 15, 16 years old, playing with Striper and Poison and, you know, all wow. those kind of bands. I mean, Poison. Was this, was this before those guys had deal? Oh, I mean, was this before yeah, this Yellow before and Black Attack? Yeah, before the record deals. Oh, before, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is before Yellow and Black Attack. That's and before the first, before those Enigma records, you yeah. know. Um, Poison was on Enigma 2, which was crazy. But, uh, you know, Poison, I mean, that was before CC was even in the band. You know, they had, right? there was another guitar player, his name was Brett, that came out with them, but he didn't hack it. I'm sure he's just kicking himself still to this day. I, I should have stayed, I should have stayed. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I did that for a while, and then when I was uh, just, just almost 19, I moved up to Hollywood, and put together a band on my own and uh, and then my drums got stolen mm. I left them in this chick's apartment and they needless to say they were they were gone so I started singing I was like man I'll just sing you're playing drums or bass I was playing drums okay I, I played right. bass very short and uh, and then I started playing drums and I was a drummer as a kid for years so I just started singing I had this band called the Hollywood hoods with some buddies of mine and then I was like, man, I gotta, 
I was living in this apartment uh, with these two porn star girls. They were taking care of me. And uh, swinging thing, I don't know if you remember them. I do. Swinging, really swinging thing was those guys were they my were neighbors. big on the LA strip. Oh, they action, were killing right? it. Yeah. They were crushing it. Yeah, They're Detroit guys, and uh, they were my neighbors. And we would just hang out all day. You know, they didn't. They weren't working. We weren't working. It was it was a complete rock and roll dream as kids. You know, living in Hollywood, doing nothing but partying and making music. <laughs> and uh, and so I was like, man, I got a swinging thing. Was crushing it. And and then one day I was looking. I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna look around and see if there's any bands that are looking for a singer. And I looked at uh, I can't remember what the magazine was called. It was like the one of those just junk mags that advertised stuff. And there was a band uh, section in there, and there was an ad that Carrie Kelly had placed. Carrie and Freddie had placed the ad, and it said. Uh, singer wanted influences David Lee Roth Brett Michaels uh, I think it was Michael Monroe and I was like oh yeah this is great so I called and uh, please tell me you still have a copy of that ad somewhere I don't think I do (laughs) maybe there is I, I don't know so uh, I went down to meet those guys and they had the studio in the old Hollywood Billiards building and uh, everybody rehearsed in there. It was, uh, I mean, Junkyard, L.A. Guns, Guns N' Roses. Everybody had studios in there. It was this old abandoned building that had just been kind of taken over and turned into studios. And uh, and those guys had a studio in there. And so I sat down on the couch, and they were sitting on the drum riser. They had a riser built in there, and they started, you know, interviewing me and. Uh, by the time we, <laughs> Carrie, I don't know these guys tell the story better than me, but by the time we got done, I was sitting on the riser and those guys were sitting on the couch and I was interviewing them, you know. Nice. <laughs> <Turn> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it worked out really well and, and we hit it off really well and, and that was the beginning of Big Bang, you know. And, uh, and you know, that band was really based on songwriting and image. It was a it was a perfect mixture of the band's got to look killer and the band's got to have great songs. And Carrie was such a phenomenal guitar player, even back then. You know, I mean, we were we were young, um, but Carrie was just phenomenal out yeah. of the gate. Like the guy's just a, I hate to say it, but he's he's a musical genius. Yeah. You know? I hate to give him that, but I will. <laughs> um, I mean, we we were. I mean, listen. Before we did the interview, I mean, we were, you know, having a having a uh, a cigarette before the interview out back. And I mean, you know, it, it's we we mentioned to you, and it's not lost on you. I mean, you know, both Chris and I. I mean, we've been longtime Big Bang Babies fans. We kind of came in probably '94, so that was maybe kind of black market. We weren't quite there. We obviously weren't in L.A., so we weren't quite there at the Big beginning. Big Bang was but, over by then. But uh, yeah. So, I mean, we've always been fans and appreciated kind of the glam pop genre. Uh, you know, that said, I mean, just like you and many of your counterparts, I mean, uh, you know, in the in the rock and punk uh, genre, you know, many have gravitated more towards a singer-songwriter type direction. And, uh, and so have Chris and I, you know, I mean, Gaslight Anthem and Lucero and some of those guys, I mean, they're some of our favorites now. Love it all. Um, yeah. You know, that said, 
I mean, we still do, and we will absolutely always hold a very special kind of soft spot for uh, for Big Bang Baby. So oh, yeah. you know, if you you know yeah. if uh, if you're open to it, we'd love to have uh, you know a, a short conversa- conversation. Uh, you know, you kind of talked around your first meeting with Carrie Kelly and how you kind of uh, you know came into the band through answering an ad. And you know, one of the things that I've always wanted to ask you is you know if you think about it and i mean you guys were i I think the first album big bang album came out in 92 so i mean you were on the tail end of kind of the la strip scene if you will i mean were you guys caught off guard at all with the level of the band's popularity and draw given that the first album was on the back end of that because I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, you guys were selling out the Roxy. And selling oh, yeah. Out the, I mean, yeah, out of the gate. Um, no, it, it wasn't really surprising because we we really geared it. I mean, we worked smart as much as we worked hard. And, uh, and we planned it really well. I mean, we, right out of the gate, before we ever did any shows... We had big ads and posters and stuff everywhere that said, who the fuck is Big Bang Babies? And people would see that, and I think it really perked interest to where everyone was like, well, what is Big Bang Babies? Yeah, what am I missing? What is this? What am I missing? Why don't I know what this is? And um, so when we finally started releasing, because when we did that, it was just pictures of the baby with the machine gun, the logo. So when we finally came out with the press photos and people, the photos came out and they could put faces and that over the top image to that whole pre-production of hype, it just steamrolled, you know? And, uh, and it was at the tail end of that whole Sunset Strip thing. And it, you know, we were late in the game, but we couldn't, we didn't have any control over when we were born and, and uh, you know, when we jumped in. But we knew what we dug and we knew where the chicks were. And that was the whole game, was chasing chicks, really. I mean, for Carrie, you know, Carrie was more of the music guy. Of course, you know, the chicks were part of the interest as well. But for me, it was all driven by women yeah it was you know <laughs> <laughs> and, and, of, and partying you know and, and uh how old were you i was how old were you in, during that time i was 22 how old was carrie ish carrie was probably uh just coming up on 20 okay i would say well it's like you and i were talking about just what 30 minutes ago i mean that was kind of the last generation of Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. It was the tail end of of when it was still cool for a band to be debaucherous and crazy. Mm -hmm. And people wanted that. They wanted that danger in their rock and roll. They wanted to have excitement, you know? They wanted a a show. They wanted um, that whole over-the-top experience. And we geared the whole thing towards that, you know? I mean, I was... That was what I was all about anyway, so I didn't have to work very hard doing it. It wasn't a put-on, huh? No, it was the real deal. So, I mean, with, with that popularity, I mean, that you guys experienced, I mean, was there, I mean, 
were there any major label discussions or kind of near deals that ever you came know, close to I think the major the labels or? I think the major labels were smart enough to know that I couldn't sing back then um, I mean I you know whatever I mean I I sang but it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the commerciality of the whole that thing was well I guess nobody really knew that that was going to happen until Nirvana just completely crushed it. Mm. Um, but we did have a really good offer from um, Metal Blade. Oh, and wow. yeah. yeah. And That's out of the blue Metal Blade. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. It's like Blue Mountain on Roadrunner. Yeah. yeah right. And we were like, a hundred grand? hundred grand? That's bullshit. We're worth more than that. Yeah. We're not signing nothing for a hundred grand. And... Uh, <laughs> And then very shortly after that, when we were, because we were managed by Bill O'Coin and Kenny Kerner. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, and those guys were working some stuff and we were writing with Kim Fowley. Kiss Bill O'Coin. Yes. Bill O'Coin yeah. built wow. Kiss. Yeah. Bill O'Coin took Kiss from before they Incredible. were. Yeah, sure. When they were, was it Wicked Lester? Yeah. Whatever they were called. And uh, yeah, he turned that into like that whole crazy Kiss thing. O'Coin was the genius behind Kiss. I don't care what Gene Simmons says. It was all Bill. Yeah. to me but anyway um, so you know it, it seemed like if we held out a little bit something big would happen I mean because we knew we had the songs you know and back then I think I even thought I could sing you know and uh, so but then Nirvana happened and it you know we had been playing for some years at that point and we were a tight-knit family of brothers, mm. you know. We were really tight. Me and Carrie spent, I mean, we worked and worked and worked, and we were, if, if we weren't out drinking, we were at home four-tracking and writing <laughs> songs, you know. I mean, he, I'm sure that he's got unreleased stuff. I mean, we would just sit and four-track and four-track and four-track. All and day four long. So many songs. It was unbelievable. And, um, you know... I'm sure there's a plethora of unreleased crazy yeah. stuff that he's sitting on. I, I, I came across a tape, an old cassette, probably about three months ago, and I was like, what is this? And I put it in, and it was Big Bang stuff that I do not even remember recording. Wow. You know, it was these crazy songs that are yeah. like, wow, this is really good. Yeah. But, uh, so... You know, it came, it was at a point though when we were butting heads about some stuff and, and, uh, you know, it's like any, any band, you know, there's gonna, there's gonna be tension and there's, there's going to be differences and, and, uh, and I was sort of, sort of starting to drift back into like, oh man, I want to play some punk rock. And, uh, anyway, then Nirvana happened and that just crushed it. You know, it was like, okay. We had this Japanese management company, and uh, I went in and I said, you know, I think Tweety actually, I was talking to Tweety, and Tweety was like, you know, man, I, I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go. Um, I'm, I'm tired. And I was like, yeah. And this Nirvana thing, I mean, this, is, this glam thing is over. Mm. And I went to the management company, and I... I told him, I said, I'm going to leave the band. And 
He said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going I'm to cut off all my hair. I'm going to dye it black. And I'm going to reinvent myself, man. And I'm going to play some punk rock. And uh, they put me, they kept me. They put me on a monthly salary while I went and wrote all these new songs. Is that right? Yeah. And then that ended up becoming uh, 98 Ugly Girls. Wow. Which, we, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 sorry. I mean, but we, we last, last question mm-hmm. on the Big Bang era, and then we absolutely want to move into to, uh, to the rest of your career. Uh, just one final question, if you don't mind. I mean, you know, I know that I know that Big Bang did a reunion show back in '98. Mm-hmm. I remember it well because it uh, it pained me that I could not cobble up the uh, financials to fly from Mississippi at the time when I was in college <laughs> to Los Angeles. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah. it was it was everything in me not to make that trip because I think you guys played it at the Roxy, if I'm not mistaken. We but, did. Uh, yeah, the Roxy was our house. But uh, yeah. I mean, do you do you? My question is this: I mean, I, I know uh, I know you stay in touch with Carrie Kelly. Uh, we talk with Carrie from time to time. I mean, I know you guys are still buddies. I mean, do you stay in touch with uh, some of the other guys from Big Bangs, Big Bang? And would there ever be a chance in hell that you guys would pull together another one-off reunion show similar to what you did back in '98? I, I believe that's the last time that you guys had. It is. It's the last time. Um, you know. I still talk to Tweety a lot. Uh, Tweety's my boy. And we actually went out, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, we went out and hung out. Freddie, uh, Freddie lives in Arizona. I still talk to Freddie. Um, we, you know, Carrie and I got together a couple years back and, uh, talked about the possibility of maybe doing something and putting out another record just just to see, just for fun, you know, and kind of just releasing it in Japan maybe or something. And, uh, but we're both really busy. I mean, Carrie, Kate, that guy, you know, talk about a workaholic. <laughs> Between playing, I mean, back then when we were talking about doing this and we actually went in and actually did a couple of tracks, uh, he was when he was in Alice Cooper still. And then he went from Cooper to very briefly John Waite. And, uh, and then he got the Night Ranger gig, which keeps him really busy aside from his other side businesses, you know. And uh, so to answer your question, I mean, people have asked us to get together and and do reunion things and we haven't really done it, but we have talked about the possibility of maybe going over to Japan and doing a show in Japan. So if you want to pony up the dough. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh shit, man, I should have taken advantage of going from Mississippi to LA back in the day. That's it. Yeah, Japan's prices going up, that's inflation, buddy. Yeah, it's funny. Japan's gonna be expensive. You talk about Japan, and I can remember in the old Big Bang Babies home video that you guys released, I mean, you know, there was, there was, you know, I think you guys had Big Bang Babies dolls that people in Japan had sent you. I mean, but you- Pretty crazy. Back in the day, you guys actually never played in Japan, did you? No, yeah, no, but, but, but we you were, had a following. But we were a, a marketing dream, really. I mean, as far as rock and roll went, I mean, I look back on it now, and if there would have been 
all the things that we have today with modern technology. Like if there would have been Instagram back in 93 when Big Bang, Big Bang would have been huge, you know, massive. But I kind of, I look at it this way that, you know, I hate to use Janie Lane as a reference, but you know, those guys that had such great success back then, and then it came crashing down. Um, I think that was a really hard thing for a lot of people to deal yeah, with. It's a tough pill, yeah. To just have a, that success. I mean, obviously, Warrant was massive. Um, but I think that if we, A, we weren't ready for that success. I know I wasn't. The divine architecture just didn't give it to us. <laughs> Maybe didn't give it to me. Because I probably would have been dead by now. I would have probably been dead in 95, you know. Because um, I was that over-the-top crazy. I mean, I just didn't care about anything except partying and chasing chicks. And my party was severe. <laughs> I wasn't just, like, having a couple of beers, you know. I mean, I was raging. And a lot of good dudes didn't make it through. Derek Frigo was a buddy of mine, enough, you know. Sure. Yeah, um... And, you know, I think, like I was saying, I think if we would have had that success, I think it's hard to overcome and reinvent yourself after having a success of that level. You know, I've reinvented myself three or four times um, and not had massive success. But for me, it's absolutely been enough. Well, let's go ahead and start moving on to, to what you've done since which has been extensive you know a lot of yeah. people a lot of people are familiar with custom-made scare which was on one of the labels i love side one tummy i love the stuff they great stuff yeah um if people that aren't unfamiliar i, I would call it i don't know what you refer to it as i know you say punk but i think of it kind of like a psychobilly sound it's you know well we we always called it cow punk well there's the psychobilly and cow punk are always hand in hand so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm right there with you so if you could just talk a little bit about those days and the reinvention of yourself and moving into that sound. Yeah, Custom Made Scare, man, that was a such a badass machine. Um, at that point, when I met those guys, I was I was still going by Kit. People were still calling me Kit, but I had you know this was a year or two years after Big Bang, and uh, I was working at this bar. Bar Deluxe, and uh, I had my band, uh, 98 Ugly Girls, was playing, and Custom Made Scare briefly had another singer, and those guys were out of the gate, they were crushing it, and, uh, and then they decided they needed a singer, a, a new singer, and um, I don't remember how, how I actually got involved with them. I don't know if someone told me, hey man, these guys need a singer and you should do it, or I don't know if I met them in the bar one night. I honestly don't even remember. Um, but I ended up going down and singing with those guys, and it was the energy was just so high and it was right out of the gate. It was just killer. So we did the greatest show on dirt. Um, I had gotten in some trouble. During the Big Bang days, 
this is a long story, so I don't know how I squeeze this all in. But during the Big Bang days, um, people used to wonder, like, man, how is that? How did you guys fund all that advertisement and all that crazy stuff that you did? And I, I was involved in this telemarketing deal um, and was making a lot of money. And a lot of that money went into pushing Big Bang. Um, so, well, where was I going with this? You said you got into some, some trouble. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in the, in the midst of making all that money, um, I ended up getting indicted in 95 for fraud and money laundering. And I was a kid, you know what I mean? We were kids when all this stuff was happening. And uh, anyway, so I ended up having to go and do some prison time. Um, so we did the custom-made scare record. And right before I went away, I had to go away for about a year. So we did the record. And I've, I've read that literally the week you came out, you guys hit the road. Yes. I don't know if that's accurate, but... It was really genius. Custom made... I mean, Sideboard Dummy was really smart. Uh, they marketed the record to where it came out the day before I got out of my vacation time. Nice timing. <laughs> it was remarkable. So I came home. The record came out. Uh, it was a pretty strange kind of a shell shock experience to come back into population like that after being away. Um, and then I think we were, I was home for like four days Wow! and we went on tour with Zeke. Is I don't know if right? you guys know those yeah, guys, but sure. man, monstrous, wow. monstrous band. It, it, is, is it, is it, uh, is it hard for you to wrap your head around the fact that uh, greatest show on dirt is uh, 20 years old at this point? That is crazy. Yeah. Um, just this year, I believe. Yes. It's just a couple, like a month ago or something, maybe two months. Um, but yeah, greatest show on dirt. What an out. And the second album as well was good. Second album was good, but we only released the second album in Europe. Um, But what's awesome is we are doing a 20-year reunion record with Custom Made Scare in November. Yeah. Nobody really knows that. So you guys are... You're involved with it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's all original Custom Made Scare. Jose on drums, Sammy on bass, Kevin on guitar, me singing. Oh, that's That's incredible. And we're going to do a new record in November. Okay. We're going to track it in November. That's We're writing it, writing it right now as we speak. I'm actually writing lyrics in the headphones in the van while we're driving from That's state great. to state right now. That's great. I mean, look, after custom, I mean, you know, and, and I know you probably have done several things and feel free to supplement if you want to, uh, but I know you were involved with uh, with Deadbolt for uh, for a few years. Oh, man. Um, which, I filled in on know, drums <laughs> for those guys for 12 years. 12 years. 12 wow. years. I didn't realize that, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, it was really long. I mean, Custom Made Scare, we did that record. Uh, what was the second record called? Uh, the Show Must Go Off. The Show Must Go Off. Yeah, yeah off. Not on. I've got that tattooed right here yeah. on my arm. Um, so we went to Europe on that record. We did six weeks in Europe. 
And then I had put in a little bit of time with Deadbolt. Harley called me and said, hey, Charlie, what are you doing next month? I was like, um, well, we're going out with Suicidal uh, at the end of the month. And he goes, oh, good. That's good. And I go, why? And he goes, well, I got this West Coaster. It's just two weeks. And it's at the top of the month. And uh, I was wondering if maybe you could go. And I go, <laughs> and I'm thinking, and this guy sings, I sing. Is he going to ask me to go sell merch? You know? <laughs> and I go, well, what do you need? And he goes, oh, I need a drummer. And I go, dude, I haven't played drums since I was a kid. Well, that's what I was How would he know that you were ready for that? Well, he didn't. But Deadbolt, I mean, you don't have to be able to even play drums to play drums in Deadbolt. Yeah, so. you do. Okay. You really don't. You really don't. It's one beat all the way through all 13 records. So I go, dude, I haven't played drums since I was a kid. He goes, that's okay. That's all right. I just need a road dog, and I know that's you. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. Send me the records. He goes, we don't rehearse. Just listen to it. It's one beat all the way through. And I, yeah, so <clears throat> I put together a kick drum and a snare and a floor tom and a ride cymbal. And that was it. I just stood up. I didn't even sit. No hi-hat. And it was really fun. And, and the debauchery of Deadbolt was like going back to the Big Bang days. So Is that for right? me, Is that right? yeah, for me as a <laughs> alcoholic addict, it was really easy for me to go, this is great. <laughs> this is comfortable. I feel at home. So, I mean, I would, and plus those guys were crushing it. So we would be out eight or nine months out of the year touring. But anyway, uh, back to the Europe thing. I mean, I did six weeks with Custom Made Scare and then Deadbolt came over for eight weeks um, back to back. So I did both tours and that's when I met the, the girl over there and I ended up staying in Berlin for two and a half years. So I would fly back and forth. So yeah, I mean, Germany for two and a half years. Germany. That, that's no joke. No, man. no, it was I mean, awesome. That's, that's That is no joke. Yeah. I look back on it now and it's a little bit uh, hard to believe and almost surreal. Like it was a completely different lifetime, you know, uh, because it seems like it was a dream, really. I mean, uh, um, for me to just pick up and move to Berlin and, and leave my family and my friends and everything that I had built I guess I, I I don't know I'm Sagittarius man I'm a wanderer mm. you know I love the experience yeah. of, of life a bit of and, a vagabond and new stuff I'm a troubadour you know yeah that's right and uh, so it was a it was an amazing experience for that two and a half years and then I came back home um, and shortly later I mean custom made scare was done at that point and Deadbolt was still touring, and so I kept touring with Deadbolt, and I don't know how, man, but I mean, it went on for years and years. It's part of the the whole of that debauchery rock and roll thing, is it's really easy to slip into that and just party your way through Stay and be there. having such a great time, and then one day you wake up and you realize, oh man, I'm 70 years old. How the hell did that happen? You know, I mean, I don't think most people get to do it that long, but obviously I'm being facetious. But, uh, you know, there, that was a period of, of my life where it was just, I got sucked into that party again. 
until the, the end of it where I had to snap out of it, man. And mm -hmm. I ended up getting sober for five years. I took a five year uh, siesta. Completely? Completely sober. Program sober. You know? Oh, I needed it. It was yeah. really good for me. I needed to step back and take a look at my life and get some perspective and you know and look back and and be able to be grateful about the amazing things that I have been able to do. Yeah. You had done a lot at that point. Oh, crazy, I mean, crazy stuff. And you know, and and I had to really get a hold of myself and, and realize that I was not David Lee Roth, you know? <laughs> it was never gonna be, um, and so yeah. I mean that you know I got sober. My I had my daughter, and uh, I had to grow up at some point, you know. And and that was the that was a game changer for me. So you know now to this today, you know my daughter's thirteen, and I'm a bit of a teetotaler, you know, have a beer with you guys, and you know, a couple of beers once in a while, but, you know, I, I've got a pretty good grasp on who I am and who I am not, sure. you know, and, uh, and with my music, you know, it's, I'm a songwriter, and I, I'm not the greatest singer in the world, and I'm not the greatest guitar player in the world, but, uh, you know, I... I like to think that I can I can write a song and uh, so I've been really lucky again yeah reinventing uh, myself somewhat and going back to just writing songs yeah and and doing what I am comfortable doing and and you know you know my hair is long again people are like man when are you gonna cut your hair I remember when it was, I was just starting to let it grow because my head was shaved for years. You know, after that whole thing, I was like, I'm just going to shave it. I'm not going to do anything. And, uh, and then I started letting it grow a little bit and people were like, man, you got to cut your hair, dude. When are you going to cut your hair? And I was like, when you stop busting my balls about it. <laughs> yeah, now I'm not going to. Yeah, now I'm not going to do it. How about I'm putting it in braids, asshole? Right. How about yeah. That? Yeah. And now... Nobody says anything about it anymore. So I figured, okay, it's almost okay time to cut my hair again, you know? But, uh, well, we, we, listen, we definitely want to step into to what you're doing now, the last few albums with the Broken Arrows. Mm -hmm. Super quickly before we get there, Charlie, uh, you know, your work, uh, you know, with, with Charlie and the Valentine Killers. I that mean, was a fun know, band. It, it was, oh, listen, yeah. it was amazing. stellar. That was amazing. And, I mean, the songs were great. And listen, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, and I mean that. If You may have a different view, but I thought it was interesting because to me as a fan, listening back, I feel like perhaps you can hear some of the slight country influences in certain songs from the Valentines. You know, uh, I'm thinking, for example, like the intro to From the Wreckage. Yeah, I mean that could be on the broken the Broken Arrow record. We're, we are actually I mean, playing from the wreckage and, on this tour right now. Is that that's awesome? Yeah, ironically enough. So I mean, talk talk a little about that time in your career with the Valentine Killers. I mean, what's funny is this: some guys, you know, some of the fans of this podcast, you know, that uh, appreciate some of the the late '80s and early '90s will appreciate this. I mean, listen, Charlie's band at that time, guys, it was Faster Pussycat. Period. Without taming. <laughs> Am I wrong? I mean, you had Danny on bass. 
you had a song guitar at, at, at for a time. Yeah. And you had Chad on drums. And Chad if I'm was not playing mistaken. drums. So, yes. I mean, yes. You, the I early thought, Valentine colors. What's the dynamic there? I mean, like faster pussy cat. <laughs> well, yeah. Tammy, Tammy needs Tammy needs to pass you royalties for passing that band. I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, you know, Danny was my boy, and uh, I go way back with Danny and Chad and and Ace. You know, that just worked out great. And uh, yeah, and then we had Kevin Bombay, who's who's really my brother uh, on guitar as well, and. I mean, when I put together Charlie and the Valentine Killers, it was a natural progression for me to go back into somewhat of a punk feel um, and mix it with songs, songwriting. And, um, you know, from the wreckage, uh, you said it's got that kind of country acoustic thing to it. Um, that band really was really just part of the progression of growing. And uh, I, to this day, like I, at my birthday party a couple years ago, Valentine Killers played it, Deadbolt oh, wow. played it, Custom Made Scare played it. It was my, God, I hate to say this, it was my 50th birthday party, and I had. A whole bunch of bands do reunion sets at one place in in Highland Park with a backline, and it was the Hangmen played, and I mean it was, it was super cool. Wow. It was really cool. But Deadbolt flew out, all the guys from Custom Made Scare flew out. Um, Valent, like I said, Valentine Killers played. So that night I played four sets. Wow. Broken Arrows played. I mean, listen, you know, you 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 know. You're you're a modest guy, I can tell. I mean, but that that's uh, hopefully you could kind of hit the pause button in life and appreciate the fact that if you have people spanning that amount of time from custom made, from deadbolt, that are willing to catch a flight to come out to celebrate a birthday, um, you know, I, you, was, you did I a was, few things right out I there. I felt very and lucky and blessed. You should have. You should have. Absolutely. I've got some some good buddies out there, yeah. and. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I know I have had an amazing run, way more than I deserve. And know? way more than most people could hope for. Yeah, you I think mean, about the musical realm and... I've know. been really lucky, you know. And as far as, like I said earlier, you know, as far as like having any kind of a big musical success, um, I, I'm not really all that worried about all, any of that. I... To me, success is doing what you love to do, and as long as I'm writing songs and still making music, to me, it's that's success. Yeah. I mean, obviously, everybody wants to have money, and everybody, you know, back in the old days, it was all about, oh man, I'm going to be famous one of these days, and you know, whatever it is, what it is. I mean, I think it was Willie Nelson that said, if you're if you fail at something long enough, you will be successful. Yeah. <laughs> There's some wisdom there, perhaps. Yeah. 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 Well, and I do think you, you talk about the success, though. I think that it certainly it sure seems like you're picking up on the most success of your career right now. Seems, things seem to be going really in a good direction. I had my best year at 50. 
which yeah. is really crazy. And yeah. that, that's amazing. You put out you put out the, the record Broken Arrow, produced by Ted Hutt, just last year. Is that right? 2018? Yeah. yeah. And so, talk, I mean, the the reception seems to be very well or well it's well received. It is. Um, yeah. So what's it been like? I guess the past years of touring this record, getting out in front of crowds. It's been it's been incredible, really. I mean, you know. I couldn't have wished for more. I mean, we played, you know, just last year we played Kaboo. It was a huge festival in Del Mar. We played Cal Jam with the Foo Fighters, which I dreamed of playing since 75. You know, we played Cal Jam. Sure. This was amazing. Yeah. Take that one off the list, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean it was a total wow. bucket lister. Wow. You know, we toured with Blackberry Smoke. I got to play the Fillmore, which was a childhood <laughs> dream. And, uh, you know, we just did this big festival up, up in Montana called the Under the Big Sky Festival, which was incredible. We did the Beach Life Festival with Willie Nelson. Um, you know, we're on our way now to play Muddy Roots down in Nashville with a whole, I mean, not Nashville, Cookville, with a whole bunch of crazy punk bands. Oh, yeah, which you're is, playing now. Like Cox yeah, Bar. And, Cox um, Bar. Yeah, I love Dead Cox Kennedy's. Yeah. Like, Municipal Waste. All yeah, these crazy yeah, bands. Like, you're a natural fit. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. And so that's going to be weird. Like, you know, it's cool that they think that I can carry the country enough to be in that yeah. punk thing. You're like the liaison. You can bridge yeah. that gap. Yeah, I'm like the... Can... Yeah, I'm the middleman. So... You know, it's been really incredible, man. You know, next month we're playing that Marcus King Festival out in North Carolina. Awesome. I mean, it, it's been really, really amazing, um, the opportunities that the universe and the divine architecture is handing me now. Yeah. And, you know, I spoke earlier about saying, you know, I just, I, back in the day, I wasn't ready for it. And I probably would have killed myself. Not literally, but literally. Yeah. Not self-handed. Not intentionally. Yeah, Not intentionally. Yeah. No, yeah. But, um, you know, I think that now maybe, maybe I'm finally at 51, almost mature enough to handle a little bit of success. So the universe has said, okay, we'll give old Charlie some success and see what he does with it. You know? I mean, you know, listen, this is, it's your second album with the Broken Arrows. I mean, the first being obviously the, the California Kid. You know, we, before the interview, we got to spend some time with you and your band. I mean, all you know, obviously a great group of guys that you uh, super talented that you band. have with you. Amazing I mean, band. It's, yeah. uh, you know, one question I wanted to to ask you was uh, to me personally. Uh, you know, on 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 record, one of the highlights of that, to be honest, is some of the uh, direct vocals and background vocals of Miranda Lee Richards. I mean, it's beyond powerful. I mean, how. How did how did that connect for you and, and her joining and even for some of the live shows when she's available? Oh, I she's, she's basically. I mean, how's... she has basically been part of the band. Wow. Um, you know that on Broken Arrow, I was really lucky, man. I had the Mastersons come in. Chris and Eleanor came in and sang. They play with Steve Earle, you know, and they've got their own successful duo, the Mastersons that they do. And uh, my buddy Ted Russell Camp came in again and played bass and and. Uh, I hadn't put together this set of guys yet when I made that record. Um, and then I I had Eddie Spaghetti from the Super Suckers come yeah, in. Absolutely. You know, that's a whole other story too. Um, but uh, Super Suckers. 
Yeah, wow. man. <laughs> so yeah, we we do some touring with those guys, but uh, uh, Miranda, this other girl, uh, was supposed to come in and sing on this uh, on Slip Away, and the day of the recording, she flaked out on me, and uh, Jason Soda, the engineer, said, "Hey, man." Uh, I could probably get Miranda Lee Richards down here. And I hate to say it, but I didn't even know who Miranda Lee Richards was. And, uh, and he goes, yeah, yeah, you know, she, she sang in Brian Jonestown Massacre and she's got her own solo career. She crushes it. Like, I can't believe you don't know who she is. And I'm like, well, I live under that rock, you know. So I went and listened to some stuff and when I put on, away. yeah, when I put yeah. on that Jonestown Massacre so stuff, I was good. like, "Oh my gosh, she is incredible!" So she came down the next day and did slip away, and it was natural. And I mean, I think she did two takes, and we probably used the first one. Um, and she was just so phenomenal, and she's such a cool person. Um, and then she started coming, you know, just when we would play live around town, she would come down and sing slip away. And it came to like, you know, we were doing Kaboo, and I said, you know what? If you're gonna be there, you might as well be singing more than just slip away. So we worked it all into the set to where she was singing and she was on every tune. And, uh, and it's really become like, I love Miranda. She's really become a part of my, my family, you know, yeah. and my, my part of me, I feel like. And, uh, you know, it's really hard. Right now, she's on tour in Europe. So it was really hard. And this, this run has been really strange, like being up on stage and singing. Singing and her parts. Not, yeah. not having Miranda next yeah. to me. It's, it's really odd. And she's really one of the boys, too, to get out and tour with. She's incredible, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, she's been a real blessing. And I, you know, I would I'm, love to have Miranda singing with me for the rest of my career if I could. Sure. Yeah. So as I much mean, as possible. Listen, you just you just did a perfect segue. I'm going to skip ahead a few questions, actually. I mean, you mentioned Slip Away. Yeah. And, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. I mean, to, to me, um, it is absolutely one of the most powerful and, and, and gripping songs that you've, that you've ever written. And the, the vocal combination... Uh, of you and Miranda is mm -hmm. it's uh, it's it, it's almost haunting, uh, and the lyrics to me are so incredibly powerful. I mean, specifically, it, it's I mean, I can literally remember when this album came out, and I couldn't I couldn't get past this song. I mean, I couldn't go on to track number two because I mean you think about the lines I mean you know you, you give me that look yeah you give me that look like you're never coming back again like you've crawled down into the deep dark hole and it's warm like the house of a friend I mean you know Charlie I mean given the clear tone and topic of this song and a few of the others on the album mm -hmm. I mean are some of these challenging and difficult for you to approach yeah night 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 after night from a live perspective i mean there's there's some emotion there yeah yeah it's uh that song in general i mean uh that's from a deep dark place um and i think everybody maybe not everybody but 
you know, we all struggle at times with uh, the inner battles of this and that. And um, this song was actually written uh, about a suicide. Um, and, you know, that look of, you know, when you, like, I don't know, did you know Neil Casal? Neil Casal? Yeah, yeah, just a few days, just a few days ago, he just, one of the Cardinals and Todd Snyder, yeah. and it's so so tragic, yeah. so tragic. A couple days ago, um, but I mean, you you know that look when you can see someone and they have that look like they're just you know it's an empty. I, I had a personal experience with a. I won't go too into it, but. Um, that song was basically derived from a, a number of suicides, but yeah. the song came from one in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a, there's a place, uh, there's a, I, I don't personally know that place, but I think that people slip into a, a place where there's just, there's no hope. You know, and there's it's and it's almost a, a warm comfort, like yeah. I said, you know, like a house of a friend, and a, um, and I think that there's got to be a a solution to. I mean, I always say when we play it, I said this is a song of hope, you know, um, but I mean, I, I I don't know, it's. To answer your question, I mean, when we did this record, I went in to make one record and Ted Hutt said, no, Charlie, don't make that record. Everyone's made that record. Make a record that's going to tell your story and that's going to speak. That's an honest record. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I want, I want you to do the, those deep, dark songs that are hard for you to sing. And he helped to pull it out. Yeah, yeah, he really pulled them out. And and I said, well, you know, Ted, I really wanted to wait till I was older to make that record. He goes, Charlie, you are older. <laughs> so, you know, I listened to Ted and I... and uh, so, so Ted, for you guys that don't know, I mean, he Grammy award-winning producer, right? Yeah, he won a Grammy for Old Crow Medicine Show, but he did... You know, he's done Lucero Records, he did the Gaslight Anthem Records, Charles Kick Murphy's, he was the original, one of the founding members of Foggy Molly. Um, Saw him last week. Yeah, I mean, he's, he did almost all the Side One Dummy records in the, in the heyday, you know. He's an amazing, amazing guy and an incredible producer. And, uh, and I just, I had never done it before, but yeah. I just surrendered to Hut. And I said, okay, man. Let's make this record. Yeah. Whatever you think is gonna is gonna be great, and he dragged some songs out of me that I, you know, we don't play a lot of that record live because I don't want to bum people out. Yeah, you, you know? know, you say that, and I mean, and it's seriously again. I mean, if you disagree, I mean, you you've got the right answer. I don't. Correct me if I'm wrong, but despite the discussions that we're having around listen clearly there's a dark and emotional tone to that to that album yeah but i've got to say i mean for me i absolutely i pick up a heavy dose charlie of resilience and hope from many of the lyrics on that album i mean one of my favorite 
lyrics on that album is from this old house. You know, and the lyric progresses from part of me died tonight when you did to it's still hard, but living's good. Yeah, and it's it's got to push on. It's powerful to me. So I I feel like there is. You mentioned there's. You introduce some of those songs as this is a hopeful song, and I pick up on that. To me, it's a yin and yang type album, and there's a dark element. But you seem to have this perseverance about your songwriting style that, to me, is very evident. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I just. When I write, I just try to be honest, and I and I think a good song makes you feel, and it doesn't matter if it makes you feel happy or sad or pissed off or excited. As long as it makes you feel, then it's genuine, you know. So when I'm writing, I try to just write what I'm feeling at the moment, um, and that's the way you get a good honest tune, you know. And a lot of times, I mean, I, I love to write when I'm depressed, you know, um, because I feel like some of the best songs are those songs that just make you go, oh, you know, I mean, I, I love the songwriters, the old school songwriters, you know, Manilo, for instance. Think of Sunday morning coming down. I think that may be the greatest oh. song ever written. Oh yeah, Christopherson. Hell, oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, me and my dad used to sing that's that the song. Most together, down and out know? song I think maybe ever written. Oh, it's one of the greatest. One of the greatest ever. I, I yeah. mean, I put it in the top three country songs that's ever been recorded. Yeah. Don't. I love Cash. My dog was named after Cash. So <laughs> Cash right, 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 but right. Give me that. Give me yeah. Christopherson because he sounds like he's at his end. Yeah. And it's just right. Yeah. It's amazing. I know, I know. I mean, those kind of songs, you know, to me, are the songs that just make you feel and really feel alive, you know? I mean, there's, to me, I never feel more alive than when I am totally bummed out and something has just stomped on me and I just feel like, oh God. And it's those moments when you go, okay. All right, this is gonna get better. Yeah. Because it can't get worse, you know? But it can. But I mean, at the, in those moments, you're just like, this is just awful. Sun's gonna come out. The sun is gonna come tomorrow. Yeah. You know, hopefully, it, it, I mean, with any luck. Can't all the time. Can't yeah. all the time. And that, hopefully. Like said, that's the hope. Right. Um, last comment, I guess, for the, uh, as far as the record for me, it's not even a question. It's just, as Caden's talking about some of the songs and all, Outlaws. It's yeah. just amazing to me. And the fact that you have the Mastersons on. One of my, one of my favorite bands is Sunfold. Uh-huh. And Chris Masterson is my hands down, not even close, favorite guitarist that's ever played in Sunfold. I love his playing. Chris is a beast. It is just, I mean, my God, what an amazing player he yeah. is. I met Chris back when I, in the early Custom Made Scare days, Chris wasn't even old enough to get into the bar to drink. And... Uh, I met Chris. Of course, he used to come into the bar. He would get in. And uh, this is before Chris got sober. Chris has been sober a real long time now. But uh, Chris was a real disaster, too. And uh, we started writing some songs together. And it was funny because he used to cop Steve Earle. 
And now he's in SeaWorld. That's fun. Yeah, but I remember, like, (laughs) we'd be writing songs. He'd go, I got this great riff, man. He'd play it. I go, man, that sounds like Steve Earle. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got it from Steve Earle. Yeah. My God. <laughs> and then he ends up ironically being yeah, in the dudes. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, I guess last thing, just kind of as we wrap up, we want to, an, an effort of time, I know you got to, you got somewhere you got to be, but if we just shift gears, yeah, let's talk about what's on your head right now. Your hat. Oh, you know, that, man. That you do. Lone, lone, lone Hawk. Hat. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there's not a hell of a lot of, of money in music at my level, you know? I mean, I've been, like I said, lucky enough to be doing what I'm doing, but there's not a lot of money in it. Um, so I was like, man, I got to make some money. What am I going to do? And uh, so I started, you know, back in the days of Big Bang in 93 or whatever, I used to, you couldn't really find big, pimpy, awesome hats. So I used to take hats and do them myself, kind of. And uh, so, and then the cowpunk days, Custom Made Scare, I was doing my own yeah. bent up cowpunk hats and, so it was kind of a natural progression again. So I, I started working with some old beaver shells and reshaping and revamping and turning them into something completely different. And my girlfriend put one up online one day and I got a message from Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke. And he said, hey man, uh, I saw them hats online. You think you can make me one of the hats? And I was like, yeah, man, I'd love to make you one of them hats. And from there, it just snowballed. And now it's a full-blown business that I can't keep up with. I'm like six to eight months deep in custom orders. Um, They're out there everywhere from Blackberry Smoke to Nils Lofgren to Sheryl Crow to... That's impressive. I mean, there's so many people out there wearing them it's incredible how can people find them it's I mean you have a brick and mortar in LA as well we have a you store and, yeah and it's called I mean, Honeywood can... Vintage yeah. and Lone yeah. Hawk Hats and um, you know Instagram Lone Hawk Hats on okay. Instagram is really how a lot of my stuff is done but there's a LoneHawkHats.com um, it's pretty easy to yeah. find you know sure but yeah they, they take me about five days a piece they're mm-hmm. completely hand done no box no yeah. tools so it's really a it's like sculpting. Yeah, it's on, it's all hand shaped. All hand, completely style, hand done. No feathers, blocks, sure, no tools. Sure, cool, They're yeah, all old yeah. shells from like the 1800s to about 74 because that's yep. when the quality was good. So yeah, man, thanks for asking. I mean, that's that's a, that's been a real savior, you yeah. know, the hats. It's yeah. really become a thing where I'll go out and meet people that go, hey, man. And, I'll, and my ego is telling me, oh, yeah, these guys are going to go, you were in Custom Made Scare. You're the guy from whatever. And they're like, you're the hat guy. And I'm like, no, no, no. Well, yeah. But yeah I'm but a music I'm guy. Music. I'm a musician. I'm, <laughs> I'm a singer guy. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, that's, that's been awesome. a real blessing. Yeah. You know, the hats have been really incredible. Listen, I'm, I'm going to turn it back over to Chris to wrap this thing up. We want to be respectful of your time, Charlie. I mean, listen. Thank listen, you, guys. For me, for me personally, I mean, uh, th- this is this is this is the most meaningful interview that that I've been able to participate in. Oh, and thank you. Kevin. I hope uh, I hope it's oozed out a little bit in some of the conversations we've had both before and during the interview. But uh, your your music has uh, has meant a lot, and I want to personally uh, say thank you. Thank you for continuing to do it, for continuing to uh, be a road dog, for rolling through Memphis, Tennessee tonight. Uh, you know, thank you, and I'll I'll thank pass you. it over to Chris. Yeah, I don't I don't really have up. much more to say other than thank you. Um, 
I'm happy to see the success coming along. Thank it's, you, it's guys. It's deserved. You're a, you're a talent, and I hope anybody that's listening right now that has never listened to your music will go go check it out. Go go check out the new record. I, I think you'll dig it. Thank you. you. Um, the new we're doing a new one in October. I was so going to ask. We're you doing that. a Broken Arrow you're... record in October. That's the release, or when you're going in the studio? No, we're recording it in October with Ted Hutt again. Okay. And uh, and the custom made skate record will be in November, but the the new Broken Arrow record will be in October, and then it will release. The target date is March six, and it will be touring next year like crazy. Sounds great. Well, man, good luck on the rest of the tour. Thank you guys so much. We look forward to hearing you tonight, man. It's going to be be an honor. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks.